Thank you for joining us tonight on the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. Please settle in, relax, kick off your shoes, maybe if you're in the car on the way home, and tune in for a couple of hours. We're here with special guest Hugh McLeod of Gaping Void Art. How is it out there, guys? Traffic bad? Traffic good? I bet after Basil, it's just all a relief. A lot less going on on the road. Town's going to relax for about a week. I think everybody went crazy. I know I did. So, tune in. We have Gape and Void coming up in about seven minutes at uh, seven after the hour. And we have a heck of a show for you tonight. We have the Drastic Fanatic on at 8 p.m. talking sports. And special in-studio guest at 8 p.m., Drew Hankus of Burger Singerman, longtime friend, here to discuss cyber privacy. In the meantime, I just wanted to bring up the topic that's on everybody's mind this week, which is, what happened at Basel? Well, quite a bit, actually. First of all, this city doesn't wake up completely until the first week of December every year anymore. Today... The city is awake, ready for the season. The tourists have arrived at the airport. They're they're flooding the place, at least on the weekends. And the eyes of the, the city, they you know they're on the street. They're on the street in Wynwood. Now I don't know how many of you made it to Wynwood or Miami Beach this weekend. I know you probably got stuck in traffic. <laughs> But it was an amazing show. Uh, there's a great gathering of street artists. Uh, all of Wynwood is painted to the nines. And what I tell you guys is, at lunch, it's pretty uh, quiet. And there's no traffic there. You can scoot in from downtown, drop in from the design district, cruise across the beach, uh, you know, from the beach. And you can see it. It's all there. Uh, the best of Art Basel. Sure, the, the exhibition is gone. <clears throat> And I'll tell you, it was very interesting. There was a lot of highbrow art, uh, concept art, and, you know, some very interesting digital innovations in the tents. Uh, In particular, there was, uh, you know, some very, very cool LED windows with thunderstorms pouring out of them, at least on the wall. There was... uh, Something slightly unprintable that I think was the most uh, exciting piece of the show. And it wasn't the best of Basil as it's become today. Um, the best of Basil today is on the walls in Wynwood. Um, the most creative artists, uh, you know, the, the bright colors, they tell a story. Um, you know, it's really unique. And it's something that you won't find in a convention hall. Anyhow, Mr. McLeod. Hello, Grant. How are you? Great. Thank you for joining us tonight. Nice to be here. It's kind of, uh, I was kind of, I think, I was, I was uh, listening to what you're saying about, about Art Basel, and I was thinking, oh man, I got so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I take that first three minutes, just in case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where do, where do you want to start? Well, okay. Uh, I'm going to start by giving you a proper introduction here, Mr. Okay. McLeod. All righty. Uh, 
Hugh McLeod is the artist behind Gaping Void, which you can find on Twitter at gapingvoid.com. He'll be with us here for the next hour. Uh, Hugh ran an exhibition at The Lab Miami in Wynwood uh, for the last week. So he's here to give us a perspective on what it's like to run one of these shows, to be an artist not only at Basel but in general, and tell us a little bit about the business of art. It's a huge subject, and it's actually a lot more complicated than people think it is. I mean, I think uh, I think when you drive, when you you know walk around the uh, walk around Windwood and things, you see, okay, so you you got some kids and they're spray painting walls, and then somebody discovers them, and then they have a gallery show, and then next thing you know, people you know rich patrons are turning up, and next thing you know, they they uh, you know they're they're uh, on. Famous billionaire's walls it actually doesn't happen like that. It's actually a very kind of um, very complicated, very nebulous, very kind of crazy, crazy business. Um, well, I would describe you as an entrepreneur. Oh, very much so. See, I, my my background's advertising, so I, I I used to work in an ad agency in Chicago, and I started. Uh, I did marketing for years, and I started up. The internet came along, and I started up posting my stuff online. And and uh, together with my business partner Jason Corman, we we have an email at Gaping Void, uh, where we send out to uh, which we send out every day to people. And it's a very uh, so you've got a comic uh, like a daily like yeah. you know piece of art that is going out to, yeah. to your entire crowd. Yes, for people for people to know me, I'm a cartoonist, so. We're, I'm kind of like really interested personally in kind of business and entrepreneurship and what motivates people to uh, quit their jobs and go start stuff. And so what Jason and I try to do is if, if you Google office art, you should find Gaping Void there because that's what we're all about. We're, I'm, not, I'm not really interested in art for the home as much as I, 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 I want to kind of create inspiring messages for people who want to do extraordinary things at the uh, – at the business level, because to, I, I I just grew up that way. There's there's very few things in this life, there's very few things in this world. Interesting is, is starting a business and running a business, and being successful as a business, and it's really really hard. And most people don't make it, but God, thank God, we tr- a lot of us try. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take a very short break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to have Hugh McLeod on the show for the rest of the hour. The only in Miami show. With Grant Stern. Miami, this Thursday is the red hot winter wonderland affair. And I want you to listen up because it's your chance to dress to impress for the Mario V. Chalmers Foundation. As you know, Mario V. Chalmers Foundation supports community-based programs encouraging positive development of youth through sports and education. And this is their chance to shine, and I want you to join with us. You're going to have a red carpet photo walk, an all-red party, and you are strongly encouraged to wear red. You'll have an open cocktail bar, hors d'oeuvres, custom dessert bar, luxury auto display by Warren Henry Automotive, live entertainment from 99 jams and most importantly an opportunity to do some social good so use promo code heat 70 that's h-e-a-t 70 heat 70 at redhotwinterwonderland.com again redhotwinterwonderland.com all of this taking place thursday 7 p.m at the surf comer south beach 
everyone. It's Edward Woodson inviting you to tune in weekdays from 7 to 8 a.m. to the Edward Woodson Show with me, your host, Edward Woodson. We'll talk business, politics, and the things that really make you mad. I'm Edward Woodson, and I'm so mad! Listen to the Edward Woodson Show every day, 7 to 8 a.m., and replay at 11 p.m. on 880 a.m. The Biz. Welcome back to Only in Miami with your host, Grant Stern. If you'd like to chat with us, please hit us up on Twitter at 880thebiz, or you can hit me up directly at Grant Stern. Our hashtag is hashtag Only in Miami. We're here with Hugh McLeod. Hugh, let's get started again, and let's introduce where your background is from, where are you from originally, and and how long have you been in Miami? Okay, well, I've been in Miami for three years. Uh, before that, I was in Texas, living out in West Texas, and I, I'm a graduate of University of Texas at Austin. I also, my dad's Scottish with a name like McLeod, so I spent a bit of time in Scotland growing up. Um, and like I said, after, after, after school, I went into advertising, <clears throat> and... Uh, did that for a couple of years, well, a couple of decades. A couple of decades where? <laughs> yeah, uh, Sh- Leo Burnett in Chicago. Oh, okay. And then I did uh, Jordan McGrath in New York City. Okay, so for the bigger firms, really. Yeah, oh, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Leo Burnett, I think, is one of the more prestigious. Yeah, you know. yeah, he is one of the bigger American ones. And then sure. I uh, went out to back to the UK for a couple of years, and I got into, by the same time as blogging came along, and I started, I started blogging, and... Uh, doing freelance advertising, and uh, I got really into blog marketing, um, working with various brands, one called Stormhook, a South African brand, and we were like the first wine to ever uh, to ever use social media we, worldwide. We really were, and we, we did a lot of business there. And then I moved back, and then I got a book deal about five years ago, and I moved back to Texas to be with my dad before he died, and I, I wrote books for a couple of years. So were you uh, – when did you stop – like when did Gaping Void become your full time business? Uh, when I moved back to Texas, and you know, I had a book deal, and I had I had a uh, in two thousand eight, in two thousand nine, I started publishing prints with my dear friend and business partner Jason Corman, and we we thought we had this idea of like doing a print, and what I did is I said to my you know my my, my audience, I said, hey, we want to do a print. Everybody send me an email who wanted who wants to buy a print, and we'll print it. And they said, and we got this huge flood of people wanting prints, and so we just started. So we, these were like your office doodles. Yeah, but they're yeah they were my office doodles, but we made big prints of them, and we did it in color, and we, uh, you know, they were fine art prints. We turned my doodles, my little office doodles, into like large 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 lithographs. Right? Yeah. yeah, and uh, so so tell us a couple of like like for example. A lot of these are very wordy, which yes, I like. Yes. Well, I'm a, um, I'm a cartoonist, really. The first one we did, it just said – it's called the Blue Train. And that's a, that's a – the reason it's so obscure why it's called that. And it just said the market for something to believe in is infinite because that was my kind of great insight coming out of the night, coming out of the, the early part of this century. What, sure. Was the, that – The uh, dot-com bubble. The, yeah, after post dot com era, the, the bubble economy really. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's not just that. It's also kind of a, 
you know, a half century of just rampant consumerism, uh, which has a dark side and a light side. What I realized was, well, you know, we already got how many how many brands, how many types of M and M's can you buy? We don't need any more M and M's. We don't need any more Diet Coke. We don't need any more bottled water. We don't need any more. We have everything we need, at least from at least in the affluent part of the world. Sure, and, I mean, that's, but what we you know, don't have is real meaning. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have no meaning. I don't, I'm not saying we have no meaning. I'm just saying our appetite's really for meaning. We want good lives, and we want people, and we want brands, and we want businesses, and we want governments that make it easier to believe in our own life. Okay. And so, that, that was the whole thing about Gaping Void. It was like trying to kind of create this kind of doing art that's all about belief and doubt. <laughs> Of, okay. of, of being a of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, well, I, I mean, I've seen some of the work. For example, uh, you know, keep doing the right thing. Yeah, or like, or just all about making mistakes. Or uh, uh, it, it, you know, Cortez burned his. Uh, his oh, 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 yeah, that said. Uh, everybody wants to be Cortez. Nobody wants to burn their ships. Uh, I think that's especially true in Miami. <laughs> I think there's a certain actual yeah. Spanish influence here that that's undeniable. Yeah, and, and then and, and then uh, another one is uh, there's one there's one big print I did that said uh, life is too short not to do something that matters. And um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to run through them. There's one actually I I, uh, I think I sell it to a lot of real estate people. It just says we have to talk. After that, you have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, tr- I'm just trying off the top of my head. I've been well. There's one in particular. Uh, I know that uh, Kevin Tomlinson uh, at One Sotheby's. He's got it. Says uh, I don't have friends. I have New York. Oh right. That's yeah. Just I don't. Have, I, I drew that. I drew the the sketch of that when I first got to New York, and I realized I'd give, I left my family, all my friends, somewhere else to go to New York. I didn't really know anybody, and there I was with like you know hardly any money at all. I just like a freelance gig, and there I was looking for an apartment, not knowing anybody in New York. And I said, I don't have any friends here. I've just got the city. So the thing is, even after you've found your money and found your job and found your girlfriend and found your social life in New York, you you still feel that way. (laughs) 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 You just feel like you're there for the city. You're not really there for people, which is kind of like ironic. It is pretty ironic. And so you're, you're kind of like, how far away from people can I get? Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the most New Yorkers are like, yeah. how private is this? Yeah. Do I have a yard? Do I have a yard? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so so what we started doing was we started selling a buttload of prints, and then what I like because of my advertising background, I like communicating. We started getting a lot of you know emails and telephone calls from like big people in big companies who are our fan base saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're doing this initiative in, internally. Can you draw some art that we can put on our walls to kind of, shall I say, inspire the troops?" Uh, the first big one we did was from Microsoft. You've heard of them, maybe? Yeah, I've I've seen them once or twice. I I heard they make phones. They're like I think they make computers as well. Really? But I might have to check. I don't know. Uh, they make video games, right? Yeah, that too. Xboxes and stuff. Anyway, so, so we did one for him. We did one for them. It, it was like a blue monster, like this guy with like teeth. He's blue. You, the CEO, it was Balmer. No, it wasn't Balmer. It, it, was, oh. it was actually kind of ambiguous. The monster was kind of lovable but kind of ferocious. It was, very ambi- it was kind of ambiguous. And it just said, Microsoft, change the world or go home. <laughs> change the world and go home? No, or go home. Oh, or words, go home. Okay. I see. And what, that, what okay. that was was like this kind of rallying call for the people. See, see what happened? I started meeting people 
who worked for Microsoft when I when I lived in London, and they all told me the same thing, which, which? is which is like, I can make a lot more money and get a lot less stick elsewhere, but I like to work here because I get I get to play with all the cool toys. <laughs> First, that's it. They like the cool toys at Microsoft. And they love having the resources. They love to have the high theory stuff. You know, the very, the very futuristic technologies. They love that. Well, not just technology, but Microsoft had. uh, They they did something that that changed software, which is that they made it into like a factory. So that was that was that's a big difference between Microsoft and the classic software company. That's you know some guy in a garage. Oh yeah, yeah. They 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 were uh, they were definitely a force of nature. and but what I realized was that most of the people there I met were like really nice people, and they're very very passionate, and they're there because they want to do big things. And and so that 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 piece is called the Blue Monster. It became like an unofficial uh, mascot at in, inside Microsoft. You walk around Microsoft today, you'll see people with like Blue Monster posters on their desk, Blue Monster memorabilia wow. all over. It's, it's like this kind of like. Kind of subversive Chotsky. So, so all of Microsoft is hooked on gaping void. I'm I'm known inside the company. Uh, <laughs> that's that's cool. So, yeah, so in other words, like like the guys doing the Xbox. Oh yeah, he knows who I am. The, the guy the guy who sent that email. Yeah, he, I know. Yeah, he knows who I am. Uh, I think Steve Ballmer actually has one of my not Steve Ballmer. Uh, what's his name? Bill Gates. I believe he has one of my originals. Really? And Steve Ballmer likes my. Steve Ballmer. Well, obviously, I think that that any time a company is going to put something like that out, they they run it by the CEO at some point. Uh, yeah, but that was. Uh, I mean, I, they I, take a look. And so I, I must I mustn't be too indiscreet because I I still have a working relationship with them. But they're they're very they've been very good to us. Uh, another another one another one we did was. Uh, now something I'd like to point out that you yeah. told me a while back mm-hmm. was that it was unusual that you're an artist based in Miami, mm-hmm. but most of your business comes from outside of Miami. That's correct. Because most of my business is on the internet. Uh, now you you came to Miami when? Three years ago. Thinking you were going to stay oh, well, here. Well, no, thinking my dad was. My, I just buried my father. Uh, no, I had a. I'd run. A, my business partner Jason had a condo down here, and he's based. He was based in New York, and I was based in Texas. And it was easier for us. And as a business got busier, it was easier for me to be in Miami than for Jason to be in Texas, for me to be or him to be in New York. So we, sure. just, we just kind of like settled. You here. met in the middle. It was yeah. like you were in Texas. Yeah. He's in New York. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of easy. Here. And you're like, well, Miami's nice. Yeah, well, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of easy here. You know, it's a good time to be an artist in, uh, if you're, especially with the internet. Um, sure, sure. I mean, it, it puts you everywhere. Yeah, and, and also then then I then I met a girl and she became my wife. And she's you know Hispanic, Caribbean Hispanic, and so I got so that kind of kind of you know settled me in faster. And then. Uh, so we do a lot of we do a lot of uh, we we love work. Although I do sell them, you know, thousands of individuals a year. We sell a lot of prints every year. I like doing corporate work just because I find business really interesting. <laughs> sure. Uh, we have a, a client out in uh, Texas called Rackspace. Okay, I saw they were they were your sponsor. This yeah, year, they were correct? a sponsor of the show, and, they, and they've been they've been great friends for us for a couple of years now. And they're – I don't know if you know Rackspace, but they're a big hosting company. And they, sure. They do a lot of cloud cloud services and all that. And they're, sure. And they're really passionate. And and I got hired by a guy called Rob Legess who uh, prides himself on being a maverick. And, and I'm looking at one of the pieces. It says, of course it's impossible. Of course it's insane. 
We're going to do it anyway, and it's got five of uh, five of your little red. Yeah, uh, little critters. You call them critters. Well, I don't know. I call. I don't. Know, I call they're, them little red critters. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're little red dudes. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's yeah. one big white dude, and like there's a little guy, and, and, and yeah. I mean that's that's like the that that's the trademark of what they're seeking. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing about that line is part of a you know hashtag small teams big impact. In other words, they they love making software and services, or mostly services, I suppose, for these startups that they, they you know they sell their services to a lot of a lot of sort startups. You know, they're big in Silicon Valley. Okay. Um, so a lot of other companies are using them as like a, a basic tool or layer. Yeah, yeah, and and they they have a lot of like uh, a lot of just like a t- they, I think they have like two hundred thousand customers. Some are multinational. Some are just one. Or, you know, one or two people startups in Silicon Valley or wherever, and they they love start. They have a really they love startups. They have a really high affinity for the biz the startup business, and they and they and they want to uh, and they want to be part of that. You know, even though you're a big company with three thousand people, and so what I try to do is kind of create work for them that kind of conveys their kind of emotional state. Now, here here's a good example. You know, Rob when he hired me he said, well. You know, we used to be a really small company. When I started working here, we were a small company, but now we have 3,000 people. And it's still exciting, but... It's not very small. 3,000 people is... uh, It's not enough for a stadium, but certainly enough for a gig. Yeah. And it's like, well, the thing is, so we have all these people, you know, we're hiring however 100 people a month. And it's like, I don't know why these people are here. Are they here because they want to change the world like I do? Or do they just want to like to get the paycheck and just like, you know, do the tailgate party thing every weekend? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to know. Well, know? I'm sure it's a good tailgate. I well, mean, okay. it's yeah, Texas. It's Texas, right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Anyways, uh, we're in Texas. Uh, they're in San Antonio. Oh, uh, they're close to Rudy's. Oh, very close to Rudy's. Uh, I've been to Rudy's <laughs> many times. Anyways, and so uh, so I did this this uh, I did this poster for them. It just said a little critter on it, and it just said, "If you're just here for the paycheck, don't expect to last very long." Uh, I could have used that. And it's and, and and what Rob told me was like, well, the people who are there to change the world love that cartoon, and the people who are just there for the paycheck hated that cartoon. But he said, "Wow, you found out who was who." Huh? Exactly, which is what you need to do in a uh, big company. And so that was all about the uh, that was all about the culture stuff. Uh, another one is uh, another another. Uh, so it became like a corporate Rorschach test, where yeah, you, well, you know, really like. Like something that that's a fierce statement. I mean, are you here to change the world or are you here to make a paycheck? Yeah. Uh, you know, usually the next thing is like you're here to make a paycheck, march out the door. Like you think like like Glen Gary, Glen Roth. Well, yes. Well, exa- well, that's a good example. I mean, the, the really great salesmen love that scene with Alec Baldwin. The really bad salesmen hate that scene. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, it, he, that was a seven-minute scene. Right. Was it that long? Seven minutes. Seven and he minutes won an Oscar film? as Best Supporting yeah. Actor for seven minutes. Well, it's not the thing is about art. The thing about putting that kind of like strongly, shall we say, strongly worded art in offices. In order to do it, you have to know what you want to say, and it better be important if you want people to pay attention to it. It has to be something. Otherwise, you might just well as go to a poster shop and buy some some Van Gogh uh, sunflowers, you know. Which, sure, or, sure, or something moti- abstract and or you might you know uh, or get plant get, life or or get a uh, get one of those posters. With pictures of soaring eagles that say excellence or whatever. I mean, you get a slinky. 
You can have office. You can have office. I mean, uh, one of those little, you know, the the action reaction balls. Those yeah, things. those little office chotskis. You can do that. We've actually done those. We did some of those for uh, Hewlett Packard. It's quite quite nice. Really? What'd you do? Uh, they, they they you we, did the base. No, no, we had a little critter for them. Uh, we had a little critter for them, and they're. Uh, it was actually H- HP security, so that's the kind of security for enterprise, which is kind of complicated software, enterprise uh, level software. And we just did a little animation for them, and then they said, "Well, we like the critter in that. Can you make a little cuddly toy for us? A little plush toy?" <laughs> so we made one of those. Uh, yeah, we we make we make. Uh, I did I did one like office like a paperweight that was like acrylic, and it just said allergic to boredom. Allergic to boredom. Allergic. I think most of us are. Yeah, well, some well, people are. Yeah, well, it's, some people it's are very kind of, into that kind of thing. Uh, and it's it's like uh, another one I did. Let's see, it was uh, we were asked to do some stuff for Intel. All right. Which is a, they, so you they, went from Microsoft oh, to do, Rackspace lot, to we Intel. Do a lot, we or? do a lot. Of, we do a lot of tech. So so tech really kind of gravitates towards that. It's not that. It's it's. I think I think kind of tech is kind of. There's a part of the technology business which is kind of assy. They're kind of. They always want to change things. You see, they always want sure. to like hack something. So they have okay. A, so they have a very kind of a kind of startup stroke hack kind of. Let's you know let's is, let's put this entire you know huge segment of the population out of business. I mean they they really okay. want to, they're they're quite they're quite they're quite they're nice people but they're quite predatory. And the whole point of software is to get rid of human beings. <laughs> no, the whole point of software is to do the job of ten men. So that that's true. Or a hundred uh, men or a thousand men. Yeah. it is true. I mean it's yeah. it's it's one of the you know it's the leading American business now. Yeah. How do we get rid of people? <laughs> exactly. How do we take these computers that we can rely on supposedly? Well, it's and, uh, uh, it's it's yeah, but it has good and bad because now it's uh, now businesses instead of costing tens of thousands of now instead of businesses costing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to start, you can start a business for not twenty dollars, but. A little bit more than that, but not yeah, much. But not yeah. much. And, and so, it, so it kind of, it, it just kind of software kind of shakes things up. Um, but you know, te- te- technology, of course, and software is part of obviously part of technology. Te- technology is like really, really disruptive, and we're so used to because we all have laptops and phones now. We think it's been around forever. <laughs> oh, you mean you didn't have a smartphone when you were growing up? No. no. Now, now, for the audience, Hugh is a, a distinguished gentleman of. Older than forty. Yeah, yes. but he's not that old. Yeah, not that old. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the thing is, it's forty uh, something. Yeah, baby. Forty something. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, oh, I know. I, I've been there. I, I was with a girl who asked me why I lost touch with everybody from high school. I'm like, uh, you know, home phones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. We all moved away. He's like, well, you moved away, so you could have just kept in touch with you Facebook. You didn't mail each other. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't like dutifully go to the post office on Saturday mornings. No, we didn't. Uh, uh, well, you know that's the difference between you and I. I was at the post office. Oh, you, yeah. Well, you're a better person. No, maybe not. Maybe not. No, but but uh, it's it's. Um, well, what happened? What happened to I think the the gaping void brand was we were I was online very early. I was a very early blogger. I was blogging in two thousand one, I think. Yeah, two thousand one. And a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of the blogosphere back then was technology people. 
They're the first. Of people. course, they were. They were the early adopters. So they're the first people to see my cartoons. They were bloggers 1.0. Yeah. After the dot com crash. Yeah, yeah. Because they're they, they didn't have jobs anymore. So they're 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 they that were, would be me. <laughs> they were they were at home, kind of like searching, you know, messing around with the internet and trying, sure. looking for looking for tech jobs. Yeah, in in 1990 or well 2000, I lost my uh, position with collegeclub.com. dot com. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, people were looking around for jobs. They had pink slip parties, and mm-hmm. you know. seems like a long time ago. Yeah, well, and, uh, for like about five minutes, the internet marketing guy was the rock star. Yeah, back then, that back was then. you were the internet marketing guy. You were right. the rock star. Yeah, for like how long? Five minutes? About uh, as long as it took for New Year's Eve two thousand. Okay, and then boom, goodbye. Boom, it was over. It was we're done with you. This IPO didn't work out for us or Sorry. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. So, uh, so, so we were a couple. So we were invited to, uh, but we were invited to CES, the big, the big consumer trade show in uh, Las Vegas, which is massive. Sure, the Consumer Electronics. Yeah, show. Yeah, is beyond huge. Uh, and we were invited by Intel to go there and draw some stuff, and then we made this poster for the we commemorative poster for the event. And it was kind of a, just a picture of a uh, of a microprocessor, what other people call okay, it just of a silicon chip, and it just said uh, the microprocessor is an expression of human potential. I I agree. And the CEO loved it. And now now it's on their boardroom. That's awesome. I, I think it absolutely is. Absolutely. Yeah. We're here with Hugh McLeod on the Only in Miami show with your host Grant Stern. Please touch base with us at hashtag only in Miami. We're going to flip open the lines and take one question at 305-541-2350. Again, 305-541-2350. I just posted something on my Twitter account at Grant Stern for you guys to take a look at. It's a dozen photos from the art opening of Not Delusional. The Gaping Void Art Basel Show for 2013. And we'll be right back with The Only in Miami Show. And Hugh McLeod is our special guest. This Thursday is the Red Hot Winter Wonderland Affair, and I want you to listen up because it's your chance to dress to impress for the Mario V. Chalmers Foundation. As you know, Mario V. Chalmers Foundation supports community-based programs encouraging positive development of youth through sports and education, and this is their chance to shine, and I want you to join with us. You're going to have a red carpet photo walk, an all-red party, and you are strongly encouraged to wear red. You'll have an open cocktail bar, hors d'oeuvres, custom dessert bar, luxury auto display by Warren Henry Automotive, live entertainment from 99 Jams, and most importantly, an opportunity to do some social good. So use promo code HEAT70, that's H-E-A-T-7-0, HEAT70 at RedHotWinterWonderland.com. Again, RedHotWinterWonderland.com. All of this taking place Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Surfcomer South Beach. 
Hi, this is Jim Freed. Join me each week on Thursdays from 5 to 6 p.m. here on 880 AM The Biz for Freed on Business. We discuss topics like executive health and wellness, social media, real estate, finance, business technology, and other things that are vitally important to help you improve your business Thursdays at 5 p.m. on 880 The Biz. Brought to you by the experts at UHealth, the University of Miami Health System. Welcome back to the Only in Miami show on 880 The Biz. We're here with Hugh McLeod of Gaping Void Art. He's an entrepreneur based in Miami, and he's here with us until 8 o'clock. We're taking your calls at 305-541-2350. And you can shout us out at hashtag Only in Miami. So, Hugh. Okay. Hey, Grant. Tell us a little bit about some of the pieces from this uh, this week's exhibition. There's uh, quite a few. Okay, read, read, I don't have it in front of me, so read one out. I'll read one out to you. Actually, I'll just show you the photo here. It's okay. rocket science. I think this is one of my favorite. Oh, right. It says rocket science. That's easy. We deal with people. It's like uh, I think I think we – I, I think I, that's very true. I, I deal with people all the time. I think we, we feel our businesses are – was my, my, my late father used to say, nobody's in the business they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> that can be especially true in my business. Yeah, you think, you think, you're, uh, you think you're selling chairs. In fact, you're just selling peace of mind or what, whatever, whatever, the, sure, whatever sure. the thing is. And, uh, I, I happen to be in a business where it's very common. I own a mortgage company. That yes. sponsors this show called Morningside Mortgage. Okay. And and people don't know actually who's buying the loan and who's selling the loan sometimes. Right, exactly. And you, you think that this guy is the lender, but he's not really the lender. Yeah. And also also I I'm gonna sorry, plug my client again. I'm sorry. I I apologize, but you you know, the the uh rack space, um uh, they were very good at this. They were they were the first hosting company where they were like really easy to contact. My phone and say, guys, I got a problem. Help me out. And they're expected to. Sure, I help, I used help. to have shared hosting yeah. ten, twelve years ago. Yeah, and then but with other companies, they expect you to send an email and wait for them to get back to you. Or or even worse, they're like, well, you can wait on the phone for about thirty minutes, and yeah. then we're going to tell you you can't do anything about this. Right, right. That was the specialty. Now, <laughs> pay extra. We'll hang up on you even sooner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, there was one larger tech company that I, you know, they did my hosting back in the day, and I, I had that experience. They'd just be like, well, you know, for the safety of the server, we can't execute what you're looking to do. And that drives you nuts. I mean, especially if you're actually working in a field that requires uh, internet development, web development. Yeah. Another, another, uh, another great example of that is, uh, we have a friend and a collector of, of 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 my work called Tony Shea, who is the CEO of Zappos. Okay, Zappos dot com. Zappos dot com is a, an online shoe retailer. They're like the Amazon of shoes. In oh fact, yeah. In fact, they're owned by Amazon now. Really? They they okay. Yeah, and I, wrote, I had no idea. He wrote they... a book called Yeah. Tony wrote a book called uh, Delivering Happiness, which became a great kind of uh, 
kind of business cult book for people. Very, very good book, actually. And uh, I hear he's building one of those out in Vegas, right? Business cult? Uh, Something a little better than that. <laughs> a great development. He's, uh, it's 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 an idealistic development. I think it's wonderful. You're, I talking, about, you're did, talking about the downtown project. Right. I saw him speak in Miami uh, earlier this year at the there. New World Symphony. Yeah. I was. Well, the, th- the thing is – well, let's, let's move – let me rewind there to uh, – I'll get onto that later. He 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 had a shoe company, and and he, he decided that he he made the decision early on, and we're talking like ten years ago, even more maybe, that if he gets the culture right, the business will look after itself. So he wanted. Um, okay, I mean that's that's he, a very he gives people a lot of personal autonomy to go do you know, to be themselves and to just get the job done, rather than, shall we say, quote unquote, reading from the script. Sure, and uh, I think that's that's really important. And he he also gets people to really believe in the mission. He gets well, it's 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 interesting when you think about it because the idea that you're trying to encourage autonomy, but within a framework, is very yeah. different from like how a Microsoft tends to work, where they're encouraging like yeah. a, a factory where you have a meta programmer, yeah. and then. You know, one person said, you know, so you have a structure and a hierarchy to how everything Yeah, I think done. I don't know. Well, Mike, Mike, Steve Ballmer just, you know, just uh, announced he'll be stepping down, and they're kind of. Uh, There's a lot of soul searching going on in Microsoft right now. Oh yeah, well, it's the thing. The thing about Microsoft's interesting is they're they're now the underdog because they've you know they 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 were they were, they were very. Uh, they're very, you know, they're very ferocious, unstoppable in the '90s. I remember when they were, and then, and then they got the big. They became like the biggest thing in the world, and uh, then Apple and Google came along and changed the game. And then they, and then they, then they had to kind of regroup after Vista, after XP and Vista. Now, and now, I just bought a Microsoft machine, uh, and it's it's. You know, talk to my friend to work there. They're excited again. I think they're the most excited. That's good. That's I think, great. I think they're the most excited they've been in like a decade. Well, I, I think they have something interesting, but it's not fully developed. I, yeah. I tried the Surface tablet myself. Mm-hmm. I thought it was it, – it had some like strengths that other devices didn't have, yeah. but it had some, you know, I, yeah, I think shortcomings. I, yeah, okay. okay. I mean, I, I personally, I, I wasn't so hot with the, the actual like – the wideness of it—it it was okay. like so wide you couldn't reach the yeah. thumbs all if right. you're holding the device, and that, and I'm a big guy. Well, it's so. early days. For, it's early days for all that, and but but well, I think- it's it's like it's aimed at the the low end laptop market almost, not so much like a tablet because you know the the, the keyboard and mm-hmm. I mean that I've always seen it like that. It's it's a very interesting device for what it is. Well, yeah, well, culturally, Microsoft is uh, one thing about Microsoft—they play a very long game, so it's kind of mm-hmm. it's very. Uh, Right, they've got the the resources to continually refine. Yeah, something that's yeah, that's put and out they, there. they could be like working on stuff for like ten, twenty years down the road, rather than just we got to meet this. Well, I would say the Xbox is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. When the the first Xbox came out, uh, a lot of people thought that Microsoft was uh, was really doomed to be a bit player with mm-hmm. a lot of money, and instead they've they've really become the number one player in in the game system right. world. Uh, from what yeah. everybody tells me, I mean, yeah. You know, they. And I think that's really where their future lies. Yeah, and, and also uh, you can talk about the gamification of everything. I mean, I know my. You know, if you live your life on an iPhone or a 
or, or a, a Galaxy or whatever. Was it a Galaxy? Samsung Galaxy? Um, a smartphone. No, but <laughs> smartphone, you, you, you yeah. Smartphone. I mean, you're basically game of, if you, your life's on your phone, you're basically gamified. Sure. Do you remember I mean, these little, little, little miniature pinball machines you used to be able to buy for a dollar at, <laughs> at the drugstore? Um, <laughs> you know? No, little, you, you kind of get the little. But I know the, what you're talking Yeah, I yeah, remember like little, the Donkey Kong with the. Or, no, or like Game Boy or. Uh, you, you know, you, you used to, when I was a boy, you had these little these little marbles that you kind of roll around and get them to fit in the holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you you're know, talking that's, about. That's what an iPhone is, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got those in there. It's so got, so game, don't, don't, don't underestimate gamification because it's... Uh, oh, no, I uh, I use Foursquare. It's a social network. I think yeah. you use it, too. Uh, yeah, a little, okay, when I travel, not really in Miami. Yeah, I think it's uh, to me. Foursquare has always been like the mo- one of the most interesting networks because it's it's very engaged. The people that use it are extremely engaged. Mm-hmm. They're they're like the one percenters in a world of self selected. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, users. Everybody's yeah. you know the, if they're in that pool of users, they're really hardcore. But it actually powers a lot of the things that people use, and they don't realize it. Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, so- so what was, what was the main thread here? Sorry, <laughs> I lost it. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean the the gamification of of everyday life. I mean, Foursquare is is yeah. definitely like a great yeah. example. They have a game system inside of it. They give you yeah. points every time you check yeah. in. Points for you know who yeah. you check in with, where they yeah. tell you when it's the last, you know, the first time or the last time you've been there. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, and it's kind of. Uh, but I'm a cartoonist. I, I never went in. I, I I failed all my science classes at school. I was a terrible scientist, terrible mathematician. Uh, I never just went into the. Uh, I never went into the uh, technology business on purpose. It just they just kind of came after me, I guess. And I had friends in it, I suppose. But what's really interesting to me as a cartoonist, as a kind of more of a artistic. Uh, is it left brain, right brain? I can't remember. Um, um, well, it's drawing. I mean, yeah, the, drawing. That right brain. Okay. Right brain is is creativity, yeah, okay. and, right and left brain is okay. order. And yeah, I'm uh, more of a right brain guy. Anyways, what was interesting to me was going back to Tony Shea. Mm-hmm. What was interesting to me is why people do it. Why people do what they do. Why do people? Okay. Why do people want to work for a big company? Why do they want to be entrepreneurs? Why do they want to ha- have just like a mom and pop store? What are their real dreams? Why is it important? This stuff, you know, just human, basic human truths. Uh, watching people make their lives not suck. Sure. And uh, have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, yes, many times. Did you read Outliers? I did. Outliers is a fantastic book that that seeks to understand why certain people uh, become Bill Gates. Uh, yeah. Is it just an individual thing, or is it something more? And what they discovered was that you know, if you wanted to become Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Larry Ellison, timing, <laughs> timing is everything. Yeah. <laughs> Luck, Luck, and and also also kind of uh, kind of talent and f- talent uh, talent focus and the ability to be somewhat of a bit of a sociopath. I think. Really? Well, I think I think I think it's pretty tough to be a CEO. Actually, you got to be, you got to be pretty, uh, you got to make pretty hard decisions. You have to be on all the time. Well, actually, that's that that's a a piece of art that that was one of my favorites. All um, right, and, and it, it basically says company hierarchy. And I, I think if if I, I I can describe it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 a pyramid. 
Okay, at the bottom of the pyramid, it says losers because, yeah, we all know why. Uh, in the middle of the pyramid, it says clueless because, you know, what do middle managers know? Right, that's middle management. Yeah, and then at the top, it just says sociopaths. <laughs> yep. So, sociopath, clueless, losers. It's, it, 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 and I've worked for companies like that where they're like, well, yeah, yeah, they're not going to be in business in 20 years. It, it's definitely something that encouraged me to go into business on my own. Yeah, but at the same time, it's, you know, big companies can do wonderful things, but also, you know, having a small, being a one man shop is, that's kind of, that's fraught with stuff as well, you know. Well, hopefully I never become a one man shop again. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, being a solopreneur sounds like fun, but when you're stuck inside a cube in a large company, but when you actually have to go there and there's, there's no money coming in, it's, you know, it can be quite harrowing. Well, I mean, I made the transition from entrepreneur to commission employee to business owner. Okay. So I was actually doing something entrepreneurial. Then, you know, worked for some other companies. And I I totally agree. You know, having these company hierarchies, you know, sociopaths, clueless, losers. I mean, sometimes that can happen. But I think it happens uh, to the detriment of companies when, you know, you have a couple of people or a few people that are involved at the top. And then, you know, they lose, you know, it, it, it tells me like when you lose a little bit of knowledge capital at the top, all of a sudden your company can look like that pyramid instead of being like, you know, a regular square off building well, well it's uh they they did a uh the, the, i read it in harvard business review a couple of years ago that running a uh a company is what, what what marks out the great you know great leader and of course there's many qualities uh but one of the one of the most important ones it said was the ability to get lieutenants fired up okay so not the not the high ranking but the kind of the ones who are just the next ab- round down the the officers. No, no, no. The ones who the ones who who are just above, uh, right? Oh, the, the grunts. Okay, <laughs> sure. The ones who are just above the their normal soldiers, the the, sure. the foot soldiers. You know, the ones just above that. They're the ones who have to be heavily vested in, or else you don't have a, a large company doesn't have a chance. If you can't get the the lieutenants, the the, the younger. Uh, less experienced people, but who are educated, but they're office, yeah. and motivated. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really yeah. If those, like, those, if you start losing those people, you're dead. Sure, because you because know, uh, the generals will hang on as long as they have stock options. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, it's you know they're the you know they're uh, they still get paid at the end, but it's the guys who it's the guys who 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 are officers, but they they're they're still taking they still feel like they have a lot of they're taking a lot of risks, and that's that's where the uh, that's where the action is. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, Zappos, I went to Las Vegas, to Henderson, Nevada, right outside Las Vegas, where the, the, the corporate headquarters are. And they have something called the Zappos Tour. Okay. Where you turn up and go, hi, I'm Hugh, and, you know, here's, here's my friend Josh or whatever. And, and uh, they invite corp, you know, people from other companies to come and visit their, their office, and they show you how everything is. Okay, and it's just an open to the public kind of tour. You don't well, have you to... have to make arrangements. I mean, it's, it's not okay. no so like you, no. So this is this is the special guest tour. Yeah, but it's not it's not that hard to get in. You know, if you have you have a business and you're curious, they'll uh, it's scheduled and and you, you get in and there's like it, okay, two things. The first thing is the, the first people you meet are the freaks. 
Okay, you meet the freaks. The freaks first. They had the freaks at the door. They, you know, the, the, the receptionists have nose rings and earrings and tattoos and like, and they're just kind of like. So it's very, very business casual. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then, and then you go in, and the other thing they got chotskis everywhere. People are allowed to decorate their uh, their desks as, as they see fit. They can turn it into, and so my goodness, people do. And so you go there. It's all it's all cubicles. And every single almost like square inch is taken up by art, office art, uh, squeegee balls, uh, what you know, slinkies, uh, every kind of piece of junk you can possibly have. So, so they they're very junk positive. Yeah, and they're trying to they're trying to they're trying to kind of create a kind of creative space where people, and you know, a lot of it's call centers. You know, it's not it's not particularly glamorous work, but people kind of. Get, but get, they come in and they feel comfortable. They feel and, at and they home. feel like kind of groovy, you know. Sure. So it's not like it's not like you, I've I've worked for other companies where you go and it feels like you know uh, some private companies that feel like some government organizations, very everyone looking very dire, everything being very gray and kind of soulless. This is not that. It's very. Uh, it sounds homey. It sounds like yeah. like they're trying to recreate the work at home experience. Yeah. For people that, that cannot work at home yeah. or should not work at home because they maybe need a little bit of supervision or teamwork or whatever, you know. Yeah, and also also it's kind of like – it also kind of attracts – there's a certain kind of misfit element to it. It's like people who didn't – who maybe would have thought they could have lived in San Francisco but just you know worked in dot-com land but decided it was just a wee bit too intense for them. So they, they kind of like – Slightly looking for something kind of slightly alternative, so it's kind of uh, it's it's kind of wonderful, really. It, 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 it kind of like it's almost like Tony wants to give these people a home. <laughs> okay, no, I appreciate that. I like to give those people a home as well. You know, it's, and, and I understand he's doing a lot of container housing projects or oh, container yeah. well, office. That, that's that's another thing. See, now he wants to move. See, if you're if you have a nice company, what you want to you want to be a, a, attract talent, right? Sure. So what he's trying to do, he starts something called the downtown project where. This is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, He's got the yeah, downtown, downtown project. Go to downtownproject.com. And, and what he does, he, he bought this whole bunch of real estate with his own money. Okay. Outside He's, of Las Vegas, on Nevada. On the north side of Las Vegas. Did, that, did, he, uh, did he buy the North Las Vegas City Hall? Is that, yes, he did. Well, I he, think I think Dapas bought that, but he bought a lot of disused property. The old Las Vegas City Hall is this kind of modern building. It's kind of surrounded by uh, dilapidated kind of uh, – it's kind of like the Skid Row of Vegas. It's got a lot of pawn shops, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, you know, a lot of pawn shops, a lot of derelict kind of. And he's turning him. He's kind of like he's kind of like turning everything into like a bit of a boutique kind of hipster village. So he's buying up all this property, and he's inviting people with startup ideas to go out there. Um, right, and and his belief is that uh, if you increase interactivity, yeah, you'll increase the chance of something randomly wonderful. Happening. Yeah, it's it's like like he actually he actually says uh, the goal of of having these urban environments is to increase serendipity. Yeah, serendipity. Was, uh, for example, uh, there's a girl I know called Kathy Brooks who went out there, and oh, before I say, he's using three hundred fifty million dollars of his own money. He made a fortune over the okay, years. Okay, so he's, he's he's reinvesting. Yeah, he's reinvesting. He's opening up. He opened up a Thai restaurant, which is one of the best restaurants I've ever been into. It's called. I can't remember what it's called, but I've been there. Uh, you know, he's turning into he he got the he got the he got he, he's building a, like I think a shopping mall out of containers. 
I love container buildings. Yeah, so they're he's fantastic. doing all that kind of kind of kind of Burning Man architecture. He's bringing Burning Man architecture there, and he's doing that kind of tree hut. You know those those kind of like micro apartment movements, micro house movements. Where oh, he, absolutely. That very, guy from very, that, very that guy rare. from Treehugger dot com is he's getting him in to build an apartment building so people can live in like you know fifty foot fifty square foot apartments or whatever. Well, uh, you know the uh, a, a single container is twenty foot yeah. by eight foot, so it's. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah, and it's then, not that huge, but it's like you yeah. put two of them together, and all of a sudden yeah. you have a studio. And then you, he opened up a coffee shop, and then what else he do? He I remember this this one that got my interest is a woman called Kathy Brooks, who's about my age, and she was a PR a, a startup PR person in the in the in Silicon Valley forever, and she just got tired of it, and so she said, Ugh, "To hell with this!" And she's opening up a uh, a doggy sitter. Kind of place like dogs here in Miami. Sure. Uh, what do you call those places? Uh, a dog, dog groomer. A do- no, not a dog groomer. It's like a like a place. Oh, a doggy like, daycare. A doggy daycare. Doggy daycare. But it's going to be all kind of fun and stuff. And she just said, "Yeah, I just." So so she she said, "I want to drop out and join join the the downtown project as a doggy daycare babysitter." Yeah. and that's an all and 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 that's a kind of uh, thing where you're kind of looking, I guess, for some kind of. Kind of like direct meaning, you know, where, okay. You want to say I don't want to be uh, one more one more cog in the wheel. I want to make the best pickles in Brooklyn, or I want to make the best. Sure, I want to make an impact on something that I can see tangible. Yeah, I want to I want to see something tangible that I can do. That's well. Valid. There's also return to artisanship. That's one. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So there's, there's people talk about when they talk about the quote unquote hipster culture. Yeah, yeah. It's it's because. Yeah, when you're 22 years old leaving college, less you want to be as a cog. You well, to- I mean, you know, in this country, we moved away from artisanship towards mass production, and now people are starting to slowly move back. Yeah, what do you think of that? Actually, that kind of artisan hipster thing. Because oh, I, I think it's a great thing because you know, I think everybody benefits. It's uh, you know, mass production removes a lot of jobs from the table, and you know, when people are self-employed, uh, you know. They're doing working in a craft or maybe a, a small cottage industry. I mean, they're a lot more stable. Um, they're contributing to the people directly around them. Uh, I think that it's very important for the new urbanist movement because yeah. not everybody is going to be the CEO. Mm-hmm. And also, maybe the things to make you think about stuff other than money, other than career, other than corner offices. Yeah, you know, I've spent time thinking about corner offices, and you know what? They're not that interesting. Really? <laughs> well, they're they got a desk in them. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. You get I a agree. view. You get a view. You know, view is nice. You can have a view without you, have, you know the corner office. I did a cartoon when I was twenty. It just said a, a damn good job and a damn good salary, whether you like it or not. I like that, and <laughs> and that's all we have time for for this hour. But we're going to be back on in five minutes with the new Asked, at Drastic Fanatic, and this is the only in Miami show with your host Grant Stern. Share a little sunshine thanks Robin Lee, who used hashtag LoveFL to post a video of her puppy Fritz playing at the beach. She says Fritz is the sandy-wandiest little man and wonders, could those teeny-weeny little wigs be any cuter? We think not, Robin. We think not. 
Share what you love about Florida with hashtag LoveFL and encourage Florida tourism. This message sponsored by Visit Florida, the Florida Association of Broadcasters, and this radio station. Market Wrap host Mo Ansari compares the markets to a roller coaster ride. Don't try to get too cute with the market and try to get out at the very top and realize, oops, that wasn't the top, then try to get back in. Then it corrects, then you get out again, and then you say, oh, that was the top, and I got in, and now I'm behind. Let me sell out, you sell out, market goes right back up. You'll drive yourself crazy doing that. And I see so many people trying to do that. And emotionally, it just takes a toll on them, and then they realize, oh, yeah, I better get somebody to do it. If you're ready for some help with your investments, call Compaq Asset Management at 800-388-9700 and schedule your free consultation with Mo Ansari. That's 800-388-9700, 800-388-9700. Compaq Asset Management is a registered investment advisor, funds custodian, Fidelity Institutional Wealth Services, member FINRA SIPC. Hi, this is Pete Dolatori. If you want to hear the latest and relevant news on business opportunities and economic development in South Florida, featuring the movers and shakers and successful entrepreneurs from our community, tune in live Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. for the Pete Dolatori Business Hour here on 880 a.m. The Biz. That's the Pete Dolatori Business Hour, 8 a.m. here on 880 a.m. A few years after Al Gore invented the Internet, somebody invented email. After we figured out how to use it and not use it, somebody invented Facebook. Then Twitter. It seems like the more things that get invented, the farther apart we become. What happened to one-on-one communication where one person talks, another listens, and sometimes can actually call in and respond? What happened to that? That's right. It's been here all along. It's talk radio. And here you are. South Florida's only business radio station, 880 AM. The Biz. Hi, folks. This is Alan Thicke. And if you're one of those millions of Americans who owes back taxes, if you get nervous when the mail comes because you might get a letter from the IRS, then you've heard they're cracking down this year. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank account. Even your home or business could be up for grabs over unpaid taxes. It's all true. But it's also true that they're offering a new way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an important government program for tax debt forgiveness. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered, so now's the time. If you qualify, the experts at Optima Tax Relief, their team of attorneys and enrolled agents, will get you the best deal possible. Optima has an A rating with the Better Business Bureau. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima for a free consultation. Call 800-711-5743. That's 800-711-5743. 800-711-5743. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit Optima Tax Relief.com. You're an author writing a Christian book, so you may know this cheery little fact. Old-fashioned publishers reject thousands of manuscripts each year. You know your book is fabulous, but hey, if it's not what a publisher needs, eh, all you need is your book in print. You want it on Amazon. You want to spread the word the way you've written it, so do it. Forget old-fashioned publishing. Publish yourself with 21st Century Christian Publishing at Zulon Press. 
Fast and affordable, Zulon Press gives you the power to put your Christian book on the market the way you want it. Zulon Press knows your mission because they have the same mission. Publish your book, see it on Amazon, be a published author with Zulon Press. Learn more with your free guide to Christian publishing. Visit ChristianPublishing.com. Get your book hot off the press. Zulon Press. Find your free publishing guide at ChristianPublishing.com. Zulon Press is a division of Salem Communications. The same great people who bring you this nifty radio station. WZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications. On the NASDAQ as SALM. back on the Only in Miami show with your host, Grant Stern. I see that our second hour guest has just arrived, Mr. Andrew Hinkis. Come on, Andrew. And we've got a live call in from Tony Lorenzo, a.k.a. Smurfio of Afrobeta, next week's special studio guest. Tony, how are you doing out there? Oh, I am watching. I'm looking at a fox right now. You're looking at a fox. Where? I'm in Coral Gables at this private concert thing at someone's house. And I'm outside. I made. I, I came outside to make this phone call to you, and I'm looking at a, a gray fox walking down the street. Amazing. In in Coral Gables. <laughs> in Coral Gables. Of course. Right, right, right. Off, off Granada and the, one of the golf courses there. Okay, so there's wildlife in the city. Yeah, there is. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you're going to be on next week uh, from seven to eight. But I wanted to hear what are your gigs this week for Afro Beta. Okay, the first one is Friday, and it's, it's um, I don't think we've ever done anything like this. It's called the Busker Festival. And Alrighty, that's a festival in downtown Miami. It's in downtown Miami, and it's it's kind of like a pop-up festival. I think we're doing a set from 6 to 7 p.m. Bayfront Park on one of the Metro Movers. So we're going to be playing without electricity, just with a Bose-powered speaker and some battery-operated synthesizers. So this is going to be a pop-up festival on a Metro yes. Mover platform. On the Metro Mover, yes, from 6 to 7. After us, the Frop School Music. There's a bunch of people playing, Okay, so uh, so they're, they're mixing in contemporary yeah. music with classical music for this. Yeah. Uh, there's also, there's, let me see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8 locations. Bayfront Park, Knight Center, Miami Avenue, Government Center, Wilkie D. Ferguson College. So, North, so North all North. along the inner loop of the Metro yes, Mover, correct. Uh, this Friday night, yes. uh, there's from, going to be five to, it's from five to nine. From five to nine p.m., there's going to and be a, a festival, and you guys are going to be playing at the Bayfront Station. The Bayfront Station, correct. That is fantastic. Yeah, how cool is that? That is awesome. I mean, yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff. There was the Purple Line uh, last year, which was That's a right. uh, they they created a faux transit station in the design district. Uh, where they'd like a commuter station to be for a train. We actually performed that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I have a couple of pictures from that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was a great gig. In front of the – they brought in a shipping container. They actually brought in several of them. They painted them. Uh, You know, that was a great little uh, festival. So this is a larger version. 
Yeah. It's in downtown Miami on Friday night. You guys are going to be playing there at Bayfront Park. And then on Saturday, Saturday Afro Beta. Winterfest in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. It's a, it's a festival on boats or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's like yeah. a boat parade, right? Yeah, it's a boat parade. We're playing the South Florida Ford boat. Oh, okay. So you're going to be on the water floating down yeah. the new river. Performing on the... Yeah, this has got to be the most eccentric weekend for performance. Yeah, I'm gonna say. I mean, there's yeah. you know, like one on the Metro Mover and the other one on a on a boat. Now, now for those of you in the listening audience who may not have heard of Afro Beta, um, you know, you guys you, you guys play all over the world. You guys play Ultra, right? We play Ultra. We did uh, Brazil. We've done Europe, Glastonbury. The the Glastonbury Music Festival. Yeah, we did so we've uh, done some music festivals in the United States. Right, and what about the worldwide ultras? Uh, we did Korea and Brazil. Korea and Brazil. So you guys have traveled the world, and, and have you performed in any transit stations or on boats before? Nope. Wow, that's great. That's yeah. great. It's a weekend of firsts. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we're going to have you in the studio. Uh, this Can't is wait. Tony Lorenzo, a.k.a. Smurfio, from Afro Beta, next Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on the Only in Miami show. And you'll be able to check out Tony at www.afrobeta.com or on Twitter at AfroBeta. Uh, and Facebook also. And Facebook as well. So, Tony, thank you so much for calling Thanks, in tonight. Man. And we're right. looking forward to having you on the show next week. Take care, buddy. Thank you very much and talk Bye-bye. to you soon. This is the Only in Miami show with your host, Grant Stern. I'm here with Drew Hankus. Drew's an attorney from Burger Singerman in downtown Miami and an old friend. Thanks, Grant. Uh, pleasure to be on here. Welcome to the show. So we brought Drew on because for this hour, we like to do what we call an open discussion. We discuss the Heat, the Dolphins, NFL, uh, you know, or, or just contemporary news, politics, sports, whatever. I think I said sport, sports a couple times. But. You, you might have. I think a fun topic to talk about it would be something that maybe we don't experience much in South Florida, and that is... Rain? Well, no, we get plenty of that. But I'm talking about the specific phenomenon of quarterbacks in the snow. Okay. Now, we don't get that down here because we're blessed with such beautiful weather. But if you were watching on Sunday, and I know you were watching on Red Zone, the end of the early games, yeah, were, yeah. they were amazing because we saw these quarterbacks, these finely tuned machines, these, these people who've been training their bodies in optimal conditions with the best of technique and care for 20 years, put in an environment where they are completely ill-equipped to deal with their surroundings and watch them try to improvise. Oh, yeah. They're bouncing around in the mush. Absolutely. And you saw some, some of them had great results. Some yeah. of them had to completely kick their game to the side and, as is, was the case in Philly, go back to a ground-and-pound offense in order to, uh, you know, whether it was clear out the ground or just try to make something happen on offense. Well, okay. So it was, it was a snowy weekend. We'll give it that. Uh, who surprised you the most? Well, like I said, in the Philly game, you, you had this high-flying offense that, you know, they brought the coach from Oregon they had this entire revolutionary offensive game plan, which relied upon quick slants, quick passes, bubble screens instead of a running game, but supplemented with one of the better runners in the league with uh, LaShawn McCoy. And then you put them in a situation where the ball is going to be hard and slippery. It's going to be hard to throw and catch. And they had to chuck it and just let, uh, let Shady McCoy run between the tackles. Well, actually, it's kind of funny. I saw the beginning of that game, 
And uh, I was surprised that the Detroit Lions did so well. I mean, you're talking about a team that, that plays in a dome. And uh, they led most of the, what, the whole first half of that game? Most of the game. It was really one of those wild finishes. Oh, hey, the Drastic Fanatic is here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Hey. What's up, buddy? How are you? How are you? Good. Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of surprising to have the Dome team, like, leading almost the entire game, and then it all fell apart. Well, it seems to me that there are Dome teams, and then there are Dome teams. Detroit showed itself to have a lot of metal in that uh, weather, and then you look at New Orleans that went up to Seattle the prior week and just got their doors blown off. Sure, and that's it wasn't a, snowing. It wasn't snowing, but that was, you know, that's almost a tectonic plates moving type of situation up there with the noise and with the, the gravity that, that that 12th man makes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I think the game that affected the local team the most, uh, and besides our own, I think was uh, was also possibly the, the one instant classic of the day. I mean, I think that there was a few great games going on, but... Baltimore Mini. Yeah. Did, 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 did you see that live? Yeah, that was crazy. So... Uh, t- there was two minutes and five seconds. They had five touchdowns. Uh, unparalleled. Never seen it before. We'll never see it again until the next time that we see something that we've never seen before or again. That's right. just that's why you watch. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you know, they were saying on network television that that was the most touchdowns in a two-minute span in the last 50 years. And yeah. that the, the next closest span of time that had five touchdowns was five and a half minutes. Yeah, I think there were a lot of records yesterday. I think there was also the only game with no extra point kicked in there. Really? Which well. one? That was also uh, Philly. Yeah. That's yeah. bizarre. No, I'm not surprised. They, they tried one, but uh, got blocked. Really? Yeah. Okay, so the they only, only tried one... it after a full start, and then they moved them back, and they're like, you know right, what, we'll try it. That. And then they had 20 old linemen trying to put snow out of the way, <laughs> and... Um, Oh, yeah, they it were talking about uh, the infamous snowplow game. Oh, you yeah. guys remember that sucker? I was a little younger, but yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was, uh, they mentioned it, but they didn't know what game it was. It was the Dolphins and the Patriots. Ah. All right? Okay. This is, I think, 1982. The Patriots had a, uh, a convict. And I, he was like, you know, on work release. And he came out and cleared a path for them to kick a field goal to win a snow game. Which, of course, is completely against all the rules. Yeah. Yeah, the Patriots broke the rules. Who would think of it? I mean, seriously, seriously. Darth Vader no breaking way. rules now. Spygate. What? Well, for for all of their nefarious acts, it looks like they were also the biggest loser of the weekend, since their best offensive weapon, Mister Gronkowski, saw his knee explode. See ya. ACL and apparently LCL or MCL. Yeah, I know it's it two of the big. To a better guy. Well, well, why does it keep happening to to Gronk and to the Patriots' tight ends in particular? Well, you know what? Well, I, think I mean, the, come on. We have two two, two guys. And the other guy ran into a little two, bit. Two uh, all-stars. The other guy ran into a little bit of a different problem. His his wounds, I think, are more of the self-inflicted variety. But Grant does actually beg a really interesting question, which is why are there players with elite levels of talent who are able to basically be bulletproof and play through everything? And then there are guys who have unbelievable physical skills, but, you know, every other play, they're getting nicked up. Well— I mean, obviously, some people are more durable than others. Some yeah, guys you know play what, it safe. You don't know what they do between game times either, you know? Well, well plus, listen, do you ever think that Ted Ginn is going to get injured on the field? 
I'm Ted not, Ginn Jr. I'm not drafting Ted Ginn. I'm, no, no, no. I'm drafting I mean, his whole family. But I mean, <laughs> I don't know for what. But I mean, really, do you think Ted Ginn is going to get hurt on the field? Don't you have to get on the field to get hurt on the field? Well, you got kick returns once in a while. Right? Actually, yeah. you know, being no. I think we're all avid fantasy players here. Yeah. Ginn has actually had something of a resurgence this year. He's been the, the well, he had a resurgence last year too. I think they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, he's he's been used as the as a downfield threat on a lot of teams that just want to use him for his raw speed, and he has two or three good games a year. But I'm not sure if he isn't capped at that at this point. Well, I mean, maybe that's enough. He beat the Jets single handedly, didn't he? Well, I mean, I didn't say I totally hated him. What do you think, Drastic? I don't recall. You don't recall? <laughs> I you're do the, recall. You're the Jets oh, fan. I'm the Jets man. fan. Okay. Guilty as charged. All right. Yeah, actually, uh, we had a good showing yesterday, at least. Oh, that's true, man. Uh, the how's the the Matt Sims era going? No, Gino, Gino. Yeah, oh, Gino but I thought you. But but you start uh, the Matt Sims era was started at the end of the Dolphins game. There, I think well, it was. I think it lasted about a half, right? Yeah, that was a half. You know, Rex was looking for a spark. Um, he didn't get it, and <laughs> we're back to Gino. So back to Gino, Gino does show flashes from here. You know, time to time. Um, so so Gino's dead. Long live Gino. That's that's the Jets' motto. It's still uh, up in the air. What's going to happen in the future? Well, yeah, I mean, the good news is is that uh, Mark Sanchez wants to come back. Well, he could want uh, a lot of things. No, no, I mean, he's really committed. He needs to be invited he's committed to come to back. Uh, really? They're not going to invite him back as a backup? Well, maybe. They might bring in Tebow again to uh, compete for the backup role. Really? Uh, why don't like the that. two of them just compete for the Jags job next year? <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. For some well, reason, the Jags are hell-bent against bringing uh, Tebow in for some reason. You know, I never understood that. I never understood it. I thought that the Dolphins should have brought him in when the Jets got him. Well, at this point, we've seen that the guy's skills played beautifully in the college stage, and he wasn't able to do the quick enough to have the quick enough release and get it done in the pros. His value now is as a commodity, right. and he could fill up the stands in Jacksonville. Well, the you Patriots are looking for a tight end now, right? Look, I- <laughs> you got to be able to catch a ball to play tight end. <laughs> now, uh, you know that's a great question. Do you think that the Patriots, and I'm going to start with you, Drew, do you think that the Patriots are going to re-sign Tim Tebow to play tight end? Zero chance. I mean, they Hernandez the, no, is gone. No, the, the, I, I believe Gronk Kellen, is out. Kellen Winslow's PED um, suspension is probably done. He was rostered by them earlier in the year, so he's going to be acquainted with their playbook. Wait, Kellen's if, not on, no, the, on the, the Jets, Jets anymore? Kind of, yeah. I was going to oh, say, yeah, I, thought, the, I thought they... I can't probably keep, leads them in receptions, actually. I can't keep track. He's a <laughs> yeah, soldier. Yeah, yeah, he's been out for like half the season, I, too, right? I think right? Tebow doesn't... Um, he just would rather not play than play tight end or pl- other than play quarterback. You know, if if he was smart, he does the Warren Moon or he does the Flutie. He goes to the CFL. He lets a quarterback coach give him a full makeover. If he can make it there, I mean, look at who they've brought down from the CFL. They brought Warren Moon down. They, they've been Jim quality. Kelly. Yeah, totally. They've been well. No, was in the USFL. Oh, US. Yes, yeah. he was in the USFL. Yeah. I disagree. I think that they should just throw him in there, and some some NFL team should do what the Broncos did out of desperation. Design an offense around the guy. Let him win. So what's the difference between him and RG3 running the read option as part of a shotgun-heavy offense? Uh, I mean, Griffin obviously has a better arm and hypothetically better decision-making skills. Just a lot less uh, luck. The the difference is that that Tebow is a running quarterback. He's a runner that that happens to throw the ball once in a while, whereas an RG3, he's a guy that he could play in a traditional system, I think. With his arm, with his you know, with his skill at reading the the field, mm-hmm. you know, he could play under center. I don't know about the the footwork part, but yeah, the future of RG three is scary. I think right now. 
Well, did you see Shanahan's comments that he's thinking about yeah. shelving him for the rest of the season because he wants to, quote, make sure he's healthy for next year? I think that's not a bad idea at this point. If you're not playing for something, yeah, I, I mean, think you should have thought about that a long time ago, though. So, so you're yeah, me that they, you- they could have lost that playoff game and nobody would have known. Yeah, and, so- and instead they injured somebody who, uh, you know, they want to have a long NFL career. So is this the uh, Kirk Cousins audition to try to get a second rounder? <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, man, the Skins, they got issues this year. I mean, they're they're talking about whether Shanahan should stick around, but I think he's their guy. You do? Yeah. I think he's out. He's got to go. He's gone. He's got to go, yeah. Although he's been successful. He's old guard, and he's got his son with him as the offensive coordinator, I believe. But he's been successful. I mean, he he took them to the playoffs last year. and Yeah, and his quarterback hates him now. Wow. Jeopardize his career, and that's that. Hmm, I don't know. I heard he was ready to pack it's... his bags. I just read an article the other day. He was ready to pack his bags at the end of last year and resign. Actually, oh Shanahan, Shanahan, yep. Well, he's he's old guard. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, old guard. You know, he's been around the block. It's and... a new. It's a new league, my friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I got to tell you, his son might be the best guy to replace him. Their offense with RG three. I mean. It's innovative. It's it's a real you know it's a hybrid. It's not like your traditional NFL offense. It's not like a college offense. Right. If you call stare at uh, stare at Garcon and throw it as feet innovative, then yeah, the last three four games have been truly groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, that was dreadful. They've been dreadful. I mean, okay, it's okay. Been a, it's been a yeah, dumpster fire. It's been a disaster. Yeah, they, their house is set on fire. They, totally. But they, they and the Atlanta Falcons need the reset button worse than everybody else. Well, where do you reset with the Falcons? They've got Matt Ryan. I think you keep him, right? Yeah, you got to keep him. Well, he's their franchise. He's uh, you know he's what Jake Long could have been. He, he, oh, that, I'm sorry. That's right. It's the oh, Dolphins oh. that took Jake Long. Yeah, oh he, yeah, yeah. He, that's he's right. Their, look, in, in a parallel universe, their defense was going to stink either way because they had to pay a lot to keep their core offensive skill players. But you're looking at a guy that's got Roddy White and Julio Jones to throw to when they're healthy. What? Yeah, when they're healthy. I mean, look, occasionally. He, yeah, Roddy's probably on the decline at this point. Yeah, Rod, Roddy is on the out. But well, I think I think Roddy has foot problems. Right. And. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I drafted him for the foot problems. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the drastic fanatic here. This guy, he and I are in a league together. Yep. And uh, I got bounced in the playoffs. Oh yeah, I put at my least team you got together with duct playoffs. tape, though. So yeah, yeah. At least you. you made it there. Yeah. So, so we're having the draft, and my first pick is Alfred Morris. Okay. So about four rounds later, this guy wants to pick Alfred Morris. Yeah, I missed that one. Sleep you missed at, that one. Sleeping at the wheel? A little bit. I didn't think you would be a first-round pick, honestly. Really? <laughs> oh, come on. Well, come look, on. You know, the, the, if it's his first year playing fantasy, it's forgiven. It's <laughs> yeah, I think it's his first. 21st. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. Roy Hulu came and stole all the thunder, you know, anyway, during the year. Three-touchdown game? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's because I picked Hulu last year, and I picked Morris this year. So, of course, it was destined to be. Yep. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, well, okay. I mean, we should say, we should mention that I picked RG3 last year. And how'd that work out? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I think uh, somebody won the, the league during the regular season somebody. there. Somebody. Somebody. Yeah. Kind of led wire to wire, I think. There you go. Something like that. I don't know. I'm kind of having a memory loss. That was I, last year, though, my friend. Yeah, I, I know. I think you don't want to tell the listening audience your record this year, do you? No, no. You can keep that. That's that's non-public information. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure the only reason <laughs> that uh, that Grant got there is because, of course, I'm not in that league. 
Oh, whatever, hey, whatever. You, you saw what I did with your friend's desiccated corpse of a basketball team last year. I took over midstream and took him to second place in the league. I know. Who'd yeah. you lose to? Not you. <laughs> You're kidding. Really? Well, okay, that was that was the first year of the league there, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think uh I think yours truly beat out somebody. Right. So our Heat have a, a big game coming up, huh? Yeah, actually, we haven't brought up the Heat yet, which is unusual. Yeah, hey, it's fantasy football uh, playoff season, so we could stay there if you want. Yeah, yeah, we'll no, we'll go back to that. But yeah, so the Heat have won two in a row. That's right. Uh, they beat the Timberwolves. Uh, the with, surprising Timberwolves. The surprising Timberwolves, underperforming Timberwolves for the most part. Well, you know, it's it's they're one of those teams that you got to kind of figure out what they're going to be. They have a lot of skill in a lot of places. They've got some old guard that know how to play still. And you just kind of look at them and you say, are they going to take the next step or are they just going to do a Timberwolvian hover in mediocrity for another six to ten years? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've got one of the most unique players in the league, an amazing yeah. skill set a, yeah. and a, a guy who does funny commercials. And you would think that they'd be able to do something with that. Well, I mean, uh, tell me this is uh, – tell me that I'm wrong. Without the Timberwolves, the Miami Heat do not win, win a championship. Right or wrong? Drastic. No, I think I'm you don't know about the the Beasley trade and <laughs> oh okay, you know it's like like Riley. Anytime he wanted to get rid of somebody, he'd send them off to Siberia. Siberia oh, well, being mini I don't know. I don't know if you read. Uh, I don't know if you read on Grantland, but I I read Grantland regularly. Yeah, I, so I kind of live in Grantland somewhat. So, well, yeah, you do. So yeah, there's yeah. there's the writer whose name escapes me that it's always talking about Khan. Because Minnesota's yeah, that's GM, Bill Simmons. Yeah, He's Simmons. the the editor in chief. There you go. So Simmons always makes fun of Khan for being the worst GM in, in the NBA for making the most inexplicably terrible trades. So yes, it makes sense that that would be the first stop on Beasley's journey through hell back to redemption. Well, I'm going to point something out. I think that most people don't realize the Heat traded Beasley, and and people were like, "Hey, you got nothing back for this guy. You picked him second overall, and you gave him around away for a second round pick." And nothing else. Now, obviously, that that opened up cap space, right? And the, the Miami Heat used that to sign Mike Miller, who obviously was fairly important in the the last couple of uh, playoff runs. But the, uh, that second round pick became Norris, Norris Cole. Cole, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's I mean, what you call addition by subtraction, I guess, right? <laughs> that is addition by subtraction. And, and I believe we're paying him what a million dollars this year—a one-year, one million dollar deal. Is Cole on a one-year deal? No, no, not, not Cole. Beasley. Oh, Beasley, on, yeah. Beasley his, is back. Well, he's on the veteran minimum. Yeah, on his he's triumphant getting, return. Well, you know, he's getting millions from the, the Suns. Thank you, uh, Mr. <laughs> Tarver. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, no, they uh, – you know, I was surprised when he got that contract. I mean, three years, you know. Well, they look at his they look at his college game and they say this guy is still young. He's got a chance. And what they didn't realize is that you need to have a guy with a gravitas that he can. You need to have somebody with a gravitas to calm a guy down and let him see the light. We've established a culture that has the veterans teaching the young guys how to play, and sure enough, he flourishes. Yeah, I agree. I think that that what he learned his first time around is why he's being a, an effective player today. And uh, and it points out, you know, in business, sometimes the best deals you ever have are the ones that you sell short and you buy back later. <laughs> yep, and maturity goes a long way with that too. I mean, you know, he just needed to mature a little bit. Now we're, we're going to take a call, and I'm going to open up the the phones to callers. So if you guys want to call in, 
please call 305-541-2350. Again, 305-541-2350. Caller? Hi, uh, this is Andy. Um, I don't know if you guys are still talking about the heat. I was listening. Yeah, to we are talking about the heat. Go right ahead. You think that if Michael Beasley got the playing minutes, he'd be the second best player on this team? Okay, I'm I'm gonna start off with this one, and and then I'm gonna go around the room here. Uh, I'm gonna say no. All right, I'm gonna say that that Beasley would be maybe like even if he was playing a lot, he'd be a fourth option. You know, I mean, he's an aggressive player. Really, I mean, but today, today, now you know what? It's not it's not that he couldn't become that. It's just that right now the other options in front of him are. Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. So, I mean, do you think do you think he's better than Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh? Uh, I mean, I think he's a better scorer than both of them. Drew, uh, maybe not Dwayne Wade when he's healthy, and you know. Drew, what do you think? Do you think that Beasley is our second option right now, or is that uh, a little premature? There's a tendency to look at basketball players and only look at their offense. Um, they've had to really strip down and reshape Beasley's game to take him off of a Carmelo Anthony-style ball handler and make him more of the rolling-to-the-basket option, playing like a stretch four instead of a an outside shooting three. His offensive game has really, really progressed, and it's been totally remade by Spolstra and Riley. Now, is he better than a healthy Dwayne Wade? No shot. Is he better than a gimpy Dwayne Wade when his meniscus is acting up? Could be. I think we're also ignoring the fact that without Bosch, we can't do any of the of what we're doing with our offense. So if you want to look at the whole game, although Bosch is just totally beaten up in the court of public opinion, what Bosch provides as a five who needs to be covered outside of the key is invaluable to setting up their motion offense. And uh, Bosch's defense, even though he gets a little bash for not being a great rebounder and a great shot blocker, the spacing problems that he creates gives him so much value. I would say that a healthy Bosch might be equally valuable as a healthy Wade simply for what he does in allowing the offense to work and the defensive spacing to work. Drastic. What do you think? Beasley, is he a number two option? Not on this Miami Heat team. No? Nah. No way. No. I mean, like uh, like you said, Chris Bosch, uh, while I'm not a huge Chris Bosch fan, um, I do respect what he brings to the table, and I think the spacing and all those elements are more so uh, – you know, important to the Miami Heat success because if you look at him, I'm one of those people who think he's soft. You know, when I when I watch him play, you know, yeah, yeah, I think what he what he does bring though, like you said, is that uh, the spacing element is what makes the Heat go and let the ball whip around, and he doesn't have to sit there in the post, wait for the ball, slow things down. Um, no, I think he's he's very important uh, when it comes to all of those things. You know, the the space and pace offense. It's predicated on opening up space in the lane, not having a big traditional center right. sitting in the lane trying to grab rebounds. Right. He's not a stretch four. He's not a true five. He's just somewhere in between all that and uh, creates matchup problems. Well, I mean, he's playing within an offense. Um, it, it's not like a situation where he's just out there freelancing and, and you know, maybe he gets some points. I mean, he doesn't even have that many plays called anymore, actually. Like, they, they used to. In the beginning of the big three... It was all about the isolation, two man game. You know, they they were really kind of playing uh, playing basketball one or two guys at a time. 
And Bosch is the number one shooter from 16 to 24 feet yeah, in the entire league. mid-range shooter. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he shoots 53% from the mid-range. The rest of the league shoots 38% on average. That's that's a stunning – you know, you're talking about the difference between one in every three going in and one in every two. A little bit better than one in every two. Right. And that's why this Heat-Indiana matchup Tuesday should be fascinating. You know, you have the big man Hibbert, and then you have, you know – Bosch, who oh, yeah. doesn't want to body up with a Hibbert, but he'll space him out and work the ball, you know, reverse court and set up the open shot. Well, I, I think we saw some a, a segment where that was really effective, which was uh, last week there was a great comeback win at home, and Bosch hit three three-pointers in a row. Okay? Three three-pointers because he was standing out there on the lane, and... Uh, you know, like, it, it, it works. It works. Nobody was covering him out there. I mean, they had a big center who got stuck inside. It was against uh, the Bobcats with Al Jefferson. Right. Exactly. That's when we were talking about the the, the new 30-game uh, win streak, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is that win streak anyway? That went bye-bye. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of games to be played. Now, speaking of streaking, I think that there's another team that had been streaking there, and uh, and they broke their, their streak, right? Yeah. We look good for two games, you know. Went into Brooklyn, the the uh, Knicks we're talking York. about here, the yeah. the epic embarrassment that was the forty one point dismantling at home of the Knicks by the lottery bound, perhaps Wiggins esque Boston Celtics. Celtics. Yeah, right, forty one points at that home. That was the biggest uh, blowout in the NBA this year. In the, really, in the third we- biggest loss by the Knicks at home in their history. Yeah, it was Which pretty is, embarrassing. Actually, the embarrassing thing is that there's two worst losses, and one of them was 50 points. And, and those were all pre-Carmelo, by the way. Yeah. Well, it's good to see that Carmelo is uh, is really like becoming a traditional New York Knicks player. All flash and dazzle, no substance, no guts, no ability to share or create, just wants to get himself out there. I think he wants more than that at this point, but I don't think there's anything left on the roster for that. Cash money is that what yeah, we need a we need a floor general. That's the problem with the Knicks. You know? Really, it's not Iman. No, it's not Iman. What you, what's wrong with Iman? I, Iman's a. I think he's fury. Iman has a great upside. Um, we miss a floor general out there. Someone to say, "Hey, Carmelo, listen, you shot your twenty-eight shots. Now it's <laughs> someone else's turn. You have to share." Give but wait it up. a second. Last year. Yeah, Jason Last Kidd. year they had Jason Kidd. Did right. that stop him from shooting 28 times a game? Well, he swung the ball to the other side once in a while, too. Okay. Okay, so that's really uh, that that's what's missing. Just a a floor general. A floor general. And a and a good coach that could X and O a little bit because well, What happened to Frigioni? I mean, I thought that would that guy was Frigi- the answer. No, we need a point guard and we need a head coach. And what about Bargnani? Isn't he around for another year? Bargnani's playing all right. He's playing okay. Yeah, a lot of rebounding, a lot of passing, defense. No, he, I mean, he hits the shot. Are you are you <laughs> are you really putting are you really putting the the downfall of this team on Raymond Felton? It starts with the point guard. Okay, and but he's as chunky as ever. So, oh. look, if chunky or not, I've seen enough to know that that guy can actually ball a little, a little bit. But you he got balled re- with D'Antoni in the pick and roll with Amari. Exactly. That's when so, he did his thing. All right, so you've got a guy that can play a pick and roll. You've got a guy that can play a fast-paced offense. You've got a guy who can stretch out defenses, take the outside shot, drive to the lane, has incredible ups, and is a scoring machine. 
You got Shumpert who can shoot from outside. You've got the Bargiani. You've got tools. Yeah, Chandler when he gets back. Chan- well, when Chandler gets back it, uh, again for the anchor center yeah. type of anchoring reasons that we discussed with Bosch, it would be the same deal. So you've got the pieces. Is it the coach? I don't like the coach at all. Well, I, I think it's ironic. I think it's ironic, and we're gonna we're gonna I've leave seen off too many on last that. second shots where he just. ISO. There's no X's, no O's. It's just uh, well, it's it's ironic it that the, the Knicks uh, have Woodson, but the Nets have Joe, and the Knicks run the ISO Joe offense without Joe. <laughs> and then the the Nets need a better coach, and the Knicks need a floor general, but the Nets have Kid, and the Knicks have right. nobody. The Nick the the Nets did not watch the Lakers last year. They didn't figure it out. Well, okay, we're going to we're going to come back in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to open up the phone call uh, the line for phone calls. You call in at 305-541-2350. This is the Only in Miami show hosted by Grant Stern. We'll be back in just a minute. Thursday is the Red Hot Winter Wonderland Affair, and I want you to listen up because it's your chance to dress to impress for the Mario V. Chalmers Foundation. As you know, Mario V. Chalmers Foundation supports community-based programs encouraging positive development of youth through sports and education, and this is their chance to shine, and I want you to join with us. You're going to have a red carpet photo walk, an all-red party, and you are strongly encouraged to wear red. You'll have an open cocktail bar, hors d'oeuvres, custom dessert bar, luxury auto display by Warren Henry Automotive, live entertainment from 99 Jams, and most importantly, an opportunity to do some social good. So use promo code HEAT70, that's H-E-A-T-7-0, HEAT70, at RedHotWinterWonderland.com. Again, RedHotWinterWonderland.com. All of this taking place Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Surfcomer South Beach. You've worked hard all your life, saved along the way. How do you cut through all the clutter with so many in the financial industry working against your best interests? By tuning in to Straight Talk on Your Money with Charles Sachs every Tuesday at 3 p.m. right here on 880 The Biz. Certified financial planner Charles Sachs wants to protect you from the product salesman, hidden agendas, and ridiculous investment schemes. Cut through the clutter. Straight Talk on Your Money with Charles Sachs right here on 880 The Biz. Yeah. 
And welcome back to the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thanks for joining us tonight on 880 The Biz. You just heard some a musical selection by Afro Beta. Our special guest next week, Tony Lorenzo, a.k.a. Smurfio of Afro Beta. They're a local musician uh, music group. They will be performing at the Winterfest in Fort Lauderdale and the Buskerfest on the Miami Metro Mover Interloop from 5 to 9 p.m. this weekend. They'll be performing from 6 to 7 at the Bayfront Park Station. That's Afro Beta. You can check them out online at Afro Beta on Twitter or Instagram or their website, www.afrobeta.com. We're here with Drew Hinkis. Hi, Grant. Hello. And the Drastic Fanatic. Keeping it drastic. Keeping it drastic. So let's talk about any New York sports fan's favorite basketball coach, Mr. Mike D'Antoni. Or as they used to call him, Mike Antony, because there's no D there. No, that guy gave me plenty of agita in my day as a Knicks fan. So so does that make you feel better about keeping Mello? Is is that what's going to keep Mello in town? No Lakers. No Drastic. Lakers. Is he going to go to the Lakers? What do you think? Um, I don't – if D'Antoni's staying with the Lakers, I don't see that uh, marriage getting reunited – uh, what D'Antoni's trying to do, high tempo, move the ball, like not ISO. It's basically everything that's anti-mellow. Anti-mellow. Yeah. He wants to keep the ball moving. Mellow wants to keep the ball in one place. So the two don't really mesh too well. So you don't think the Lakers are going to go and... But they both agree on one thing. What? No defense. Okay. Well, they do agree on that topic. They also agree they have to have the ball in their hand. Yeah. Well... I think that brings us to Kobe. Kobe's back. He is. The kind Black Mamba. Kind of. Kind of. Not the Black Mamba anymore? He's chunky like Raymond Felton right now. Really? He a few pounds. Yeah. Yeah? But he'll get there. It's a conditioning thing. It's hard when you can't, you know, when you can't do what you're doing. No, no, I hear you, man. Uh, you know, like, like it's, it, it, you step off the wheel and it's like, wow, you know, you, you take two steps back. You know, NBA I mean, you really game do. shape's a totally different animal. You know, you can't uh, simulate that until you really get out there and start busting it for, you know, 35 minutes a night. No, I agree. But I, I'll tell you this. I think that Kobe's going to do something shocking. Pass? Yeah. But but not just pass. I think that Kobe sees his future as being the next Steve Nash. So you think that Kobe is going to refashion himself as a distributor? Well— it makes sense. He signed a two-year deal. Yeah, he looked that way a little last year. He went on this assist spree. I remember he was just looking to pass, pass, pass. Well, I mean, he wasn't just looking to pass. He was passing successfully. He had, uh, what, six assists per game last year? you got to remember, that was during the streak where they were trying to identify their offensive skills. Were they going to feed the ball down low to Howard? Were they going to try to let Gasol do his inside-outside game? Were they going to be an outside-bombing team? Kobe, as the nominal always-ball handler had to start making decisions. And, of course, his option number one is Kobe. But as far as option number two goes, he's going to find himself at that point with a lot of mouths to feed. So, of course, he has to distribute the rock. Right, but I'm saying I think he's going to try and, you know, he wants to be the one at this point. Nash is his backup. 
So at that point, do you think he's doing this so that it makes the team more attractive to a big free agent scorer? I think it's all of the above. I think Kobe sees the writing on the wall and he decided he's not ready to hang it up. I think that's a good point. I think that's probably what he's trying to do is try to attract another uh, big player to come out to La La Land with him. So who else is out there? Free agents. Free agents. Well, Mello seems to be the obvious choice to go over there. Mello seems to be the obvious choice. They've played together on the Olympic team. I think that's uh, actually how the Heat's big three started, if I'm not mistaken. Allegedly, as we lawyers like to say. That's where it all started up. <laughs> Allegedly. I mean, it, you know, they they bonded there. Sure. But uh, do you think that's enough? Is is that enough to bring Kobe, you know, Kobe and Mello together as a team? I mean, these guys were... Arch rivals. Well, the question becomes, is it a bonding issue or is it a dollars issue? Kobe signed a serious contract for these two years, and that's the kind of contract that does, in fact, impair their ability to go out and get other players. So the question becomes, can you have two guys maxing out in the high 20s? Forget about the Heat. The Heat have guys maxing out, three guys in max, and what were they, what were they getting, 17? 15? Well, they started at 17. Right, but they all took a little haircut to make sure that it could all fit. Kobe clearly did not go for the haircut. Well, they, they took a trim. The Heat did not. Uh, the Heat's big three definitely took a trim, but not a haircut. Not like, uh, you know, 80 cents on the dollar deal. Well, remember, the guy that they were trying to bring in was the guy who can set the market. He could have and, in fact, may go for the A-Rod contract next year. The one that blows the doors off the place. The one that sets the new standard. Oh, hey, we have a caller. Caller? Hello. Hey, guys, are you there? Yeah, hey, caller, what's your name and hey, where are you at? Miguel from Fort Lauderdale. Hey, Miguel, how's it going? What's up, Miguel? It's good, it's good. You guys are crazy talking about Kobe being a great player and everything and a team player. He had the greatest center in the world, and he, he just ruined it. He ruined everything. I don't give Kobe any props for what he might do this season after what happened last season. Okay, okay. So what's your question? What's your question for the crew? Um, my question is, why do you have that position after what he did last season? Okay, why do we think that Kobe could be a great distributor and playmaker after last year? Drastic? After what he did when he had Dwight Howard on the after, But what okay, did he after... do when he had Shaq? Didn't they do beautiful things together? Yes, they won championships. Okay. But I don't know if Kobe cares. But you don't about think Dw- you don't think Dwight Howard has to carry any of that blame at all? Uh, I mean, yes, obviously because he's a crazy person. Yeah, I mean, Kobe I mean, does Dwight big, redeem himself he's already? He's a big baby. His responsibility to take uh, what is obviously one of the very top few centers in the game and make that work. Kobe's team. It may be Kobe's team, but you're looking at a player here who is looking at the end of his career and may finally have the maturity to decide that the show may not be all about him. Now, on the other hand, is this guy going to stop making his shot option number one in order to try to make somebody else the primary option? I don't see it. Most people in basketball probably don't see it. Now, if there's a guy who's got the skills and the ability to make the transition, look, we all want to bag on Kobe because he may not be the nicest guy. And he may be a bit of a ball hog, but the results speak for themselves, and the talent is unquestioned. So well, what was the difference between Kobe with Shaq and Kobe with Dwight? Shaq could push him around and tell him who's boss, because Shaq wasn't just so much bigger, but Shaq was larger than life. Shaq had the rings. 
Shaq well, had the experience. Well, Shaq was a lot older. Experience. Ex- more experience. Yeah, but, but they they had problems too off the court, those two, you know? Oh, yeah. But well, until Phil Jackson showed up, they weren't really an elite outfit. Um, but also Kobe had to grow up. I mean, he came into the league when he was 18 years old. Now, I'm going to tell you that Kobe Bryant has grown up a little bit. This injury, uh, you know, it, it made him see the writing on the wall. Uh, you know, it, it made him see the writing on the wall. And the writing is that he's not getting rid of Mike D'Antoni. OK, <laughs> that's yeah. the writing that's on the wall here. Um, for the first time, Kobe realizes that it's not enough to go out there and just make it happen. Phil Jackson's not coming. Yeah, I agree. Guys, one more question before uh, before I get off here. Yeah, sure. Do you, guys, do you guys ever see a scenario where Dwight Howard plays in Miami? In a million years, never. He is not a Riley guy. We could have had him. A lot of people talked about, hey, we should parlay Chris Bosh into Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, they say, oh, well, Dwayne Wade's got a knee issue. Let's get Dwight Howard. I don't see it happening. Well, it depends if LeBron stays or not. It looks like the Lakers have about 10 uh, players coming off the books next year. Yeah. So you really think that yeah, LeBron might have a few shekels for uh, Dwight Howard LeBron. LeBron. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't think the Lakers are going to land anybody. They're going to land the same guys they landed why, this why? year. Spare parts and... You know, maybe we'll have a good lottery. Now, if you've been paying attention to the Lakers, you might see that something really interesting is going on with that team. Yes, it's called the bench. Yeah, it's outperforming called... the starters. Well, no, no, no. Forget, forget about that. They're old. Forget about that. They are a bunch of role players. I think they've got nine guys that are scoring in double figures. They've become a pass-first team. They are getting contributions from guys who are off the radar, like Xavier Henry, my old. Uh, my old buddy from high school, I think, is still over there. Yeah, Stevie Blake, Miami Killian Senior High. Yep, Stevie. Somehow well, I him. think he got hurt. And he's today. excelling. He's excelling in that Tony system. Absolutely. He's he's giving out 10 dimes a game right now. Absolutely, Steve. If you're listening, you've had an amazing career. It's great to see Miami Killian Senior High representing. Yeah, well, the, uh, you see, that's why I think that, that Kobe realizes, you know, without Dwight, something's got to give. There's no more other. Uh, Pau Gasol is clearly rounded the, the hill. He can see the bottom of the hill right now because big guys, uh, they don't tend to last forever. They don't tend to play into their late 30s. I mean, there's the 15-year wall. And, uh, you know, the only guys that blew through that wall of a 15-year mark as a big guy, well, it was like, uh, uh, it, let's see, Moses Malone and Kareem. Yeah, it's the freaks. Yeah. Right, the true freaks. And, and not taking anything away from Shaq, really, after the 15th year, he declined dramatically. And, and I think Powell is starting to see that, you know, just by age, not necessarily years in the league. But to be honest, back to the caller's uh, remark, I think if they would have brought in Phil Jackson, right? I agree. Instead I of D'Antoni, they... I think the Kobe Dwight Howard thing could have worked. They probably totally would have ran that triangle like they did with Shaq. But when you put D'Antoni at the at the helm here, Dwight Howard's not going to work in a D'Antoni system. He needs a a big man that could pick and roll, not just camp out down down low. Well, Shaq didn't work in the D'Antoni system either. Right. In Phoenix, that didn't happen. Yeah. No, no, it didn't work for them. It didn't work So I don't for think them. that was Kobe's fault. Honestly, Kobe is definitely an all-time great, and I don't think that you could blame him for uh, letting a baby walk. <laughs> well, he's more of a Dwight Mare than a baby. Whatever you want to call him. 
So we've got about 10 minutes left. We're taking calls, 305-541-2350. Again, this is the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can catch me at Grant Stern on Twitter or hashtag, hashtag Only in Miami, and we'll check it out. Uh, I want to switch topics. I want to talk Dolphins because I think that we, you know, we saved them for last because – that was probably the most crazy ending of a Dolphins game that they've won in a long time. So I want your perspective, Drastic. You're a Jets fan. Yep. What do you think of this Dolphins team? Are they a team of destiny? No, 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 no. Stop. Why not? That. Come on, no, man. They're seven no, and six. No, no, They're in the no. playoff Get hunt. Off. You know, if it wasn't for the Ravens completely lucking out. If it wasn't for. Right? I mean, the the Ravens lucked out. If it they wasn't just, for Antonio's Browns left pinky toe hitting a patch of snow. Well, I mean, that happened too. <laughs> yeah, it did. So, so, okay, what do you think? What do you think the ceiling is for this team? Uh, the ceiling is 500. 500? Yeah. So that's it. You think the they're going to lose out? ceiling is as high as my jet ceiling, I think, or as low as it is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? Wait a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. The Jets have a ceiling? As high as the Dolphins right now. You're, get, you're getting really aggressive with the jet ceiling at 500. Why? Because they've shown themselves to be a team that are – Wins one week, loses the other week. That's 500. <laughs> at, at, at best erratic, but I – well, maybe. I don't know. I, I look at that team and I say their defense is alternatively – you know, their D-line is dominating, but yeah. then their secondary is a I joke. Know. I know. You look at this team. So I wish one... we had this D-line three years ago. We would have won a bowl probably. Who's that guy? Wilkerson, is it? Uh, Dan Wilkerson? Wilker... No, Muhammad Wilkerson. Muhammad Wilkerson. Oh, Muhammad. oh it's yeah. not Big Daddy. That, that guy's an animal. That guy's a beast. He's an animal. Yeah. See, we were missing a front four three years ago, and we had all those great secondary guys. Sure, sure. No one could get to the quarterback, but we'd hold coverage for eight minutes. And now we get to the quarterback, and no one can hold coverage, so. Yeah, story. well, Rivas yeah. Island didn't seem to really make a big difference in Mevis uh, Island. Mevis Island. Mevis Island. Wait a second. I can't get into these like New York in jokes. I'm yeah. sorry. Mevis is just all about me, basically. <laughs> it's it's too New York humor for my tastes. You yeah. know why? Because he, he wasn't Namdi Asamoga. How can you make a joke with that guy's name? Namdi Asamoah. Asamoah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy. You got to brush up on your French. And, and by the way, <sighs> do you know who? He, do you know who Namdi Asamoah is married to? The very gorgeous Carrie Washington, who was the female lead in uh, Django Unchained. Oh. Very beautiful woman. Brunhilde. Brunhilde, that's right. Oh. Yeah. Go Namde. The the Asamoah family I actually saw online, not in my TMZ readings, but otherwise I believe is expecting. Really? So could be a really, really good free safety coming uh, into the world. So is is that why Namdi was so well paid? Because he's kind of like Django. He walked into Al Davis's office and said, "I'm going to burn no, the this Eagles, place down." The Eagles gave him all that money when they were well, building the dream Al team. Al did too, if yeah. you recall. Al I, was giving him twenty a year. My fr- my friend Sean Coyle refers to uh, refers to Al Davis as a sea monster for just being completely bizarre <laughs> and making irra- irrational, just completely nonsensical decisions about things. Al Davis was such an innovator, was such a coach, was such a franchise builder, was such a a demagogue in his day, uh, and then it was before I was born. Exactly. And, right. well, hold on, that team. That team wasn't always a complete cluster. They got no. into the playoffs. They had in Madden the, in, in the early eighties. No, no, no. Even, even when no, they got they into had Super Madden. Bowl Rich Gannon. Yeah, Rich yeah, Gannon. the Rich Gannon year. Yeah, they man, they had Madden football before there was Madden football. Mm, how about exactly. that? Yeah, yeah. So wait a second. So back to back to my question here. Yeah, Dolphin Drew, ceiling. 
Dolphins. What's the ceiling for this team? And and does this mean that Jeff Ireland should be retained like Stephen Ross is indicating? All right. There's a couple questions here. Let's parse these. I mean, okay. First things first. Ireland, in spite of himself, somehow doesn't get fired. Ireland should have been let go years ago. Right. It just so happens that it's been working lately, and I don't know whether that goes to Philbin. I think it goes to Philbin. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I I give it to Philbin. But, I mean, do you really – like the fact – the mere fact that you have to evaluate this guy week to week as a general manager of a team, mm-hmm. I think that means he needs to be fired even if they make the playoffs and win a couple of games. Well, the other X factor, which none of us have mentioned, is this entire um, incognito disaster. This has been really quiet because the lawyers have gotten their arms around it. And when I can tell you from you know lawyers' perspective, when the lawyers get their arms around things, they get quiet. But when of they course, release their, everybody is shutting their mouths. But when right. they release their report, who the heck knows who will end up being complicit? For all we know, Ireland might be left holding the bag. And P.S., half the front office could be going with them because from what I hear, it would not be surprised if it was used as a pretense to clean house. Okay. I mean, I think the house needs some cleaning. It's dirty in there. It's really, really grimy. And Well, the problem that I see with the Dolphins right now and what's going to keep them behind is their inability to commit to one running back. They get good games out of Lamar. They get a good game out of Daniel Thomas. And for all that I like the guy, I'm not seeing that much quarterback development. Well, we have three games coming up, the Miami Dolphins versus the Patriots here in Miami this Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Bills on the road. Is that going to be in Buffalo or is that in Toronto? Anybody? No? We hope it's Toronto. So I hope we, it's so Toronto. So we're going to dig out the, uh, dig out the hash marks. Yeah, and then we end the season Can't here in wait. Miami versus the New York Jets. Gang Green. Can't wait. So you going to be there drastic? Uh, I'll be there with my bells on. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You remember that first game that you and I went to, the first Dolphins-Jets game, right? The Monday night game with Chad Henney and Mark Sanchez? I think we remember yeah, how that ended. Uh, a certain Ted Ginn Jr. and his family. Uh, <laughs> look, that's not like a Salalosi yeah, thing. No. I remember being here in 1998, though. When uh, Chad Cascadin knocked the ball out of Dan Marino's hand, one of my great football memories. Yeah. Took it to the house and we clinched the AFC East right here. That was like. How dare you besmirch the name of St. Marino? <laughs> Wait. Dan Marino lost a game? Oh, yeah. Im- impossible. To the Jets? To the impossible. Jets? Impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I shoot. I mean, th- those are usually the best matchups. There's the, the Monday Night Miracle. Oh, yeah. I was there. I left early. <laughs> Can't lie. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Guilty. So, so Grant and I are lifelong Dolphins fans. I think that we hate the Jets a yeah. lot. However, yeah. we need the Jets because without the Jets, we're not great rivals without a, a, a detestable agree. foil. So keep staying mediocre, Jets. It well, makes it well, fun. Definitely a detestable foil this Sunday uh, for the Dolphins. Now, we've got just a minute left. So I wanted to give a little shout-out to our friends at the Gray Zone, uh, whose replay is coming up. There's an interview with uh, City of Miami Mayor Tomas Regalado, and that'll be at 9 o'clock at the top of the hour. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. I want to thank you for listening tonight. I hope you guys had fun. We had a good time. Drew, thank you for coming. Thanks, Grant. Drastic. Thanks, buddy. Dude, fun as always. Always. 
and Hugh McLeod from Gaping Void. I really appreciate you coming on the show, gapingvoid.com. You can also check out next week's studio guest, Tony Lorenzio, a.k.a. Smurfio, from Afrobeta at afrobeta.com. And I'm Grant Stern, your host for the Only in Miami show, Monday night, 7 to 9. I will see you next week, Only in Miami.